Good morning, Elevation. For those of you who might be joining us for the first time, my name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor of Elevation in Waterloo. Glad to have you joining us online this morning. Over the course of the summer, we have been using the Enneagram model of personality as a jumping off point as we explore nine stories of fear and desire in the Bible as a way to help understand how we move as individuals in the world and what God wants to reveal to us along the way. Now, a few weeks ago, we had an opportunity to join Krista Hesselink of Soul Play for a Zoom call for an introductory lesson on what the Enneagram is all about. We are going to be having a follow-up Zoom call at the end of August on Monday, August 24th, where we're going to continue to learning to learn about how we can apply the Enneagram to our lives. We'd invite you to register via the Stay Connected page on our website. So if you just visit the homepage, find the Stay Connected link and all the information and details about registration are there. We'd love to have you join us in just a little over a week from now. Scott Peck once wrote that life is difficult. This is the great truth, he wrote, one of the greatest truths. But how difficult is life supposed to be? And for how long? And why does it seem like for some people, life isn't that difficult at all? And then where is God in all of this? Our reading this morning comes from an often neglected corner of the Bible that records the raw, unedited emotions in the early days of the Babylonian exile, traditionally ascribed to Jeremiah. Now, for years, Jeremiah had been relaying messages from God to his people that their wicked ways would end up coming back to haunt them. The very end of Jeremiah, chapter 52, we read that the king was captured, the temple, the royal palace, the entire city were set on fire. The walls surrounding the city were broken down, the sacred artifacts of the temple were taken away, and the people themselves were exiled to Babylon. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I ended our exploration of number five with a quote about Jeremiah, whose entire public ministry appeared by all accounts to be unsuccessful. The quote came from G. Campbell Morgan, among all the prophets of the Hebrew people, none was more heroic than Jeremiah. But even heroes aren't immune to despair, and the truth of Jeremiah's struggle comes gushing out in the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Now, we heard from chapter 3 this morning, but I want to rewind a little bit and read a verse from chapter 1, and then a verse again from chapter 2, just to help frame things for us. The book of Lamentations begins this way. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people, how like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. And in chapter 2, verse 15, is this, is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? But it's in chapter 3 that Jeremiah's national lament becomes deeply personal as he moves from grief over the loss of Jerusalem to grief over his own personal devastation. Now, for the kids who are joining us for the sermon part of our service this morning, I want to ask you a question. When you are feeling sad or scared or alone, kind of like Jeremiah, what do you do? Where do you go? Do you have a safe place? Now, for many of you, a safe place might be a person. There might be a person in your life, a sibling or a parent or a grandparent who you go to for that safety. But for some of you, it might be an actual place. Some people love the forest or the garden, or the beach, that feels like a safe place. For others, it might be something as simple as your bedroom, or maybe a tree fort in the backyard. What I want to invite you to do this morning is to draw a picture of your safe person or your safe place that you go to when you want to feel better. 
Lamentations chapter 3 begins with these words, I am the man who has seen affliction. Now, as a pastor, I hear a lot of stories. Some of you have trusted me with the worst that life can throw your way. And if I were to ask for a show of hands at who has seen affliction in life, I can, in my mind's eye, envision a lot of your hands going up. But of course, my hand would be raised right along with you. Over the last few months, I've been releasing some entries that I wrote during our church's difficult journey in 2018 in the form of a blog. And so I've been kind of doing some light editing and releasing the posts every week. And recently I've been writing about the summer of 2018, which was a very, very difficult stretch of time. And I've been reflecting just on just how difficult it was to go through that. But the thing that I wanted to say this morning was not that I went through a difficult time two years ago, but in many regards, these last couple months have been quite challenging for me personally as well. I've been going through some tough stuff over the course of the summer that is weighing me down. So I don't want to pretend like this is something for you to think about or, or something that I thought about in the past. It's very real and present for me. Just the other day, maybe two days ago, I was sitting on the couch just on the other side of my living room here early in the morning and the neighbor behind us has a home daycare and we don't have any fences. So I get to kind of see the kids playing around in the backyard and, and I was sitting on the couch and I was feeling down really heavy. Sad might be the simplest word to describe how I was feeling in the morning. And I looked out and I, I saw these kids playing and I saw this particular girl, she's three or four years old maybe, and she's kind of skipping across the backyard in her little sundress. And I just thought to myself, ah, oh, man, like I wish I could just be three or four years old and just joy coming that easy and satisfaction and peace just coming that easy to my life. And, and then I had this other kind of sad thought as well. I thought, oh my goodness, like this little girl who is just like so perfectly joyful right now is going to one day grow up and be sitting on a couch in a living room, really struggling through something difficult in life. And it was just this kind of sad, overwhelming thought that I had. Sometimes it can feel like life is caving in all around us. Uh, there can be so many distractions, so many failed expectations, so many disappointments. The Norwegian author Karluve Knausgaard writes in his book, Winter, all this hardening and misery, all this suffering and loss of meaning is a part of life and it exists everywhere, but it isn't easy to see, not just because it originates within, but also because most people try to hide it and because it is so painful to admit. Life was supposed to be full of light. Life was supposed to be easy. Life was supposed to be laughing children running along a beach by the water's edge or in my case, laughing children skipping across the backyard. Now the basic fear of a seven in the Enneagram is being trapped in this pain. The author Philip Yancey once wrote that pain narrows vision. The most private of sensations, it forces us to think of ourselves and little else. You know the sensation when the thing that you're going through becomes all consuming, when nothing else or no one else seemed to hold much significance. Now it makes sense biologically, right? We need to, we need pain as an indication that something's not right. If you put your hand on a hot stove, um, if you drop something on your foot, you need the pain. It tells you get out of this situation, remove yourself out of harm's way. But a lot of the pain we experience isn't physical. It can be emotional pain. And when that's the case, it's not always easy to just reach our hand back or move our foot out of the way. Sometimes we feel like we are trapped in a painful situation. A focus on our pain can end up leaving us in a vicious cycle, which is something that a seven just won't stand for. 
They can't stand the fact of being trapped in the cycle of pain. And so they seek to escape. Sometimes that can have negative effects on things like their health or finances or relationships with other people and their relationship with God as well. You see, chapter three of Lamentations begins, I am the man who has seen affliction, but Jeremiah continues, by the rod of the Lord's wrath. You see, when things go wrong, we look for someone to blame, don't we? And for 18 straight verses, as we heard this morning, Jeremiah points his finger in God's direction. Let me just read a couple of those verses again for you. Verse, read verse 2 to 7 and then 10 and 11. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. Blame is a powerful thing, but whether placed on the people around us or on God, it doesn't do much to actually help with our trial. Jeremiah's pain is so great that he gets lost in this blame for a while. He says, I cannot escape. But what if escaping isn't the right thing to do? What if pain has something to say to us? Now, I want you to think back to the illustration that Krista Hessling gave us. I shared this on a Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago. The idea was that our essence, the core of who we are is like this hand here. And our personality, our Enneagram number, if you will, is like a covering like this. And the more that we learn about our number, the more that we learn about our personality, uh, we're able to kind of loosen its hold on us. And the goal being that our essence, the core of who we are, can shine through. So in this particular case, recognizing the way that we experience pain and the way that we seek to avoid it, it can actually help us loosen pain's grip on us and leave room for a healthier version of ourselves to shine through. As the poet Khalil Gibran writes, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. In other words, the pain that we go through can actually help us understand more about who we are and the world that we're a part of. At the end of this morning's reading, we hear Jeremiah say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. But that isn't actually how his lament ends. I wanna read a number of the verses that follow, Lamentations 3 verses 19 to 27. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Jeremiah turns from blaming God to acknowledging that God is not to blame. He is committed to remembering his affliction, but also to remembering God's faithfulness. Jeremiah calls to mind the goodness of God and reminds himself of the good path. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. No one is cast off by the Lord forever. Great is God's unfailing love. God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Slowly but surely, Jeremiah begins to see things with more clarity, which leads him to consider a different approach to his trials. 
It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And even it is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Now listen, I'm not trying to romanticize your pain any more than I'm trying to romanticize my pain. But I want to draw your attention to how the changing perspective of someone who at one point questioned whether anyone's suffering could compare to his demonstrates the possibility that lies within even our deepest struggles. If Jeremiah can break through, maybe we can too. What he learned and what we all need to learn in our own way and in our own timing is that God is enough. So kids, you've been working on this picture of a safe person or place in your life that you can go to. And I want to remind you that the Bible says that God is enough. And whenever we go to our safe place, remember that God will meet us there and he will speak to our heart. And that is what matters the most. God is listening and can help you to see things in a whole new way. If we keep our eyes on God, even in the midst of the worst that life can throw at us, we will discover a new way forward. Limitations 3.25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. God's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Now, speaking of feeling like you're trapped in pain, how about the year 2020? Like, this has just been quite the year, hasn't it? Uh, there are all kinds of fantastic memes on the internet right now. Uh, people trying to compare like what our expectations of the year were compared to the reality and just how devastating and terrible this whole year has been. Uh, it's pretty funny. I, I like this one. Someone came up with this clever in illustration. They said, if 2020 was a bag of chips, it would be Lay's orange juice and toothpaste flavor. Now, I just want you for a moment to imagine that flavor. Imagine a, a potato chip that is flavored like orange juice and toothpaste. Now, the look on your face right now, when you imagine how bad that would taste, that's like the look on your face when you think about this year as a whole, isn't it? If a seven fears being trapped in pain, their desire is to be satisfied. And there are a whole lot of ways of finding satisfaction, even in this crazy world of ours. I was actually reading an article just this week that was talking about how a lot of people are seeking kind of solace in classic movies and television shows. And I was thinking, well, yeah, that's right. Uh, we just had a backyard movie night this past week and we watched the 1989 flick Uncle Buck with John Candy. It was great. Um, but the article went on to say that uh, people are, they're turning to these older movies and these older TV shows because they bring an element of, of joy and happiness and comfort. And actually they said that they've kind of done the results of the most popular streamed movie on Netflix in July of 2020. Uh, I could give you a hundred guesses as to what the movie is. There's no way you'd get it. It's The Lorax, the most streamed movie on Netflix in July, The Lorax, a 2012 animated feature, little orange guy, like, because people are longing for just some kind of joy that we can kind of escape from this world. Now, the invitation for a seven and for all of us by extension is to joyously celebrate existence and share happiness. Sevens approach life with curiosity, optimism, and a sense of adventure. They're like kids in a candy store. They look at the world with wide-eyed anticipation. There is something good out there, and I'm going to find it. Sevens are enthusiastic about almost everything that catches their attention. And when I was reading this description of Sevens, I thought it's kind of like another uh, animated character from about 10 years ago, uh, the dog from the movie Up. 
right? Remember, he's like, every time he's trying to pay attention, he gets distracted and it's like squirrel. And uh, he's like in the middle of a sentence, squirrel, and he's, his attention goes. If you know someone who's like that, they might be a seven because they're constantly looking. What is the most exciting thing I could be engaged with right now? And it might not be the conversation that they're in. But that can be an okay thing. The Catholic priest Henry Nouwen writes that all of our life is given, given to celebrate. Life is a gift and it is meant to be enjoyed and celebrated. Many, many years ago, when Melissa and I uh, were in the early years launching our student church, the embassy, I remember in our little apartment over on Herb Street, uh, laying out this banner paper, this cloth material, and I pulled out these paints and I was painting a banner. And uh, one of the banners that we had hanging in the Humanities Theater over at the University of Waterloo, it said, had a verse of Jesus' words from John 10.10, 10, I came so that everyone would have life and have it to the fullest. I wanted that banner to hang there because I kind of felt like that was Jesus' main message. That was something, he said, this is why I came. And I thought, well, if Jesus is saying this is the reason he came, then that's the message that we should want everyone to hear first and foremost. I wanted students to come into that place and realize that Jesus didn't come with a big list of rules. He didn't come to make life somber and, and disinteresting. Like He came to actually bring the most abundant life that could be experienced. Now, there are two things that I can guarantee with 100% certainty on any Mallow family vacation. The first is that I will get frustrated while navigating my way around. It's going to happen, guaranteed. Everyone just gets ready for it. The second thing I can guarantee is that Melissa will start planning our next family trip. There's not a chance she could get through a vacation without starting to dream about what is coming next. The basic desire of a seven is to be satisfied, to be happy and fulfilled, and when a seven is healthy, their joy and enthusiasm for life naturally affects everyone around them. They just want to bring that joy to others, whether it's family, friends, coworkers, or anyone. I think sevens serve as reminders to the rest of us that we should never stop short of an abundant life. This is why Melissa is always planning these vacations. She always wants to experience life to its fullest. We shouldn't give up on things too soon, especially things like joy and like pleasure. Now, if we believe that Jesus came so that we might have life to the fullest, then it's only in him that we'll ever be truly satisfied. He is enough. We can try to find joy and satisfaction and pleasure all over the place. But what this verse reminds us is that Jesus is the one in whom our life can find its ultimate meaning and purpose. And that's where true joy and satisfaction is to be found. And so our challenge is to take a good, honest look at how we're trying to achieve satisfaction in our lives. What do we think that looks like? And is there room for a broader vision of what pleasure looks like? I love this quote from Miroslav Volf. He says, our pleasure is truly human and therefore genuinely satisfying when it is an expression of something more important and enduring than the pleasure itself. Such an interesting thought. He's talking about the fact that pleasure is something that actually connects to the deepest part of who we are, part of that essential core of who we are. But it's got to get something beyond just an experience of momentary pleasure. He continues, desire is fulfilled when love of pleasure gives way to the pleasure of love. Now that seems like something that Jesus would want us to get our heads around, right? That we wouldn't love pleasure so much as experience pleasure 
when we are involved and engaged in loving people and receiving love from them. So before we wrap up here, I want to go back to where I began with this quote from Scott Peck. Life is difficult. This is the great truth, one of the greatest truths. Well, the question is, why is it such a great truth? Well, he answers it for us. It is a great truth because once we see this truth, we transcend it. If we're not willing to accept that life is difficult, then we risk falling prey to the idea that we can somehow protect ourselves from being hurt again, that we can protect ourselves from ever experience or being trapped in pain. But the sooner we acknowledge that life is difficult, the sooner that we can begin to live it, to live life, live it to the full with the abundance that Jesus came to give. In John 16, Jesus says to his followers, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. I've been listening to a new song by Mission House lately, and they basically take this passage from John 16 and put it to lyrics. And I want to just read their version, which, which helps frame Jesus' words in a slightly different way. Our joy is born in labor pains. Love suffers long, but not in vain. Take heart, take heart. He has overcome the world. Those are the words that Jesus spoke himself in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I wanna close our time in prayer. And then on the other side of my prayer, I'm going to invite you to join in some discussion groups. If you haven't done this before, there's going to be a link that will pop up uh, in the chat right now, and you can join a group. We're going to talk about this morning's theme, as well as just kind of check in and see how one, or, how one another are doing. But I'd like to pray. And I'd like to pray specifically this morning for one of the areas of pain that a lot of people in our community are feeling right now, and that is anxiety around a return to school. September weighs heavily on a lot of people's hearts. I know that we have a lot of teachers in our community, people who work in the school system. We have a lot of kids and a lot of parents who are not sure about what this fall is gonna look like. So I just want to pray, us to pray together as a community and uh, let's wrap up our time together in this way. Lord, we come before you and once again, I thank you for stories. I thank you for the stories of people like Jeremiah was willing to just put himself out there to acknowledge just how deep his pain was and how trapped he felt in it and how he was honestly blaming you for it. But God, I'm also grateful that he was able to acknowledge that you are not the source of his pain. And in fact, you are the one who is with him in the midst of him, calling him to live joyfully and abundantly. God, in our community, we're all over the map when it comes to this right now. Some of us are just fully embracing life and enjoying it and others are really struggling right now. I pray specifically for our teachers, educators, parents, caregivers, and our kids. Our kids and our youth who are staring at a fall that's going to look very different. And God, I pray that you would reveal yourself as the God who is enough when we don't know what's lying ahead. I pray that you would take some of that, that joy, that you would take some of that pain and anxiety we're feeling and replace it with joy and satisfaction. You're able to do this, God. And the other things that we find ourselves tripping up against this week. God, I pray that you would help us to turn to you, that you would reveal yourself as the God who is enough, and you would help us to capture your vision of what it means to live life to its fullest. We give thanks in Christ's name. 
Amen. Peace to you.